And now, the number one audio program that helps you to hire, get hired, and soar higher in the Salesforce ecosystem. It's the Salesforce Career Show with Josh Matthews and Vanessa Grant. All right. Welcome back, everybody. It is another episode of the Salesforce Career Show. I'm your host, Josh Matthews, and my co-host, Vanessa, is not here today. She might be able to make it a little bit later on, but just in case, we've got some amazing backup singers. We've got Fred Cadena and Peter Ganza. Happy birthday to Peter, by the way. Not sure how old you are, but you don't look a day over 29, so you're doing something right with your diet. And uh, Mr. Fred Cadena, who is famous for... Okay, now we get the sound effects. I like it. And uh, Fred, who runs um, uh, Banking on Disruption podcast that comes out every two weeks. And today's a special day. Sometimes we have no guests. Sometimes we have one guest. And today we have two guests and they're both authors. Pretty amazing. They're both co-authors of a brand new book that came out. It's called Chat GPT for Salesforce Development. It's a concise guide for integrating ChatGPT into Salesforce workflows. It's targeted at developers, analysts, testers. It covers user story development, Salesforce, uh, Salesforce flow design, Apex coding and debugging, essential for enhancing efficiency, aligning technical projects and business goals in Salesforce environments. And we're excited to, to hear directly from Joseph and directly from Andy. There, my understanding, guys, is there were actually four authors on this. And we're going to dive into this book and why you created it and, and what some of the key takeaways are and a little bit about your careers too. But first, let's go ahead and introduce Joseph. Joseph is a Salesforce MVP, kind of a big deal around here, guys. And guess what? He's got 40 certifications. Now, I think I know maybe one other person who's got that many certifications. So good on you, mate. That's pretty darn awesome. He's also an inventor. He's got several patents. He's a skilled solution architect. He's experienced in manufacturing, health, and media industries. He's really strong in agile methodologies, Salesforce customization. And he really appreciates focusing on effective solutions uh, following the time to value principles. And then we've got Andy Forbes. Andy wrote his very first program in 1977. I'll bet most of our listeners weren't even born then. I, at the time, was five years old. And he is currently focused on investigating the impact of AI, especially generative AI, on Salesforce project delivery. He successfully led numerous Salesforce projects for Fortune 500 clients, and he loves talking about AI and just being involved in it. So welcome, you two. Say hi. Thank you. Thank you, Josh. I, I appreciate the opportunity to be here today. Well, it, you're, you're very welcome, and uh, we're grateful to have you on the show. So. Um, not much in the way of like big updates here. I want to just dive right into this book. So ChatGPT for Salesforce Development. It's my understanding that there were four authors and it would have been great to get all four, but I don't know who would have been able to get a, a word in edgewise. Who wants to just kind of give us um, some details about what was the inspiration for writing a book? And And I'm really curious, like I've known a lot of authors in my time and you know, most authors I know write books because they've got a book in them, right? Not because they want to go make a, a fortune, right? So what was your motivation for collaborating on ChatGPT for accelerating Salesforce development? Yeah, thanks, Josh. I'll, I'll um, tell a little bit about the origin story. So at Dreamforce 
2023 last year, I spoke with Andy Bergman, uh, SVP of Trailhead, in a panel about how our roles in the Salesforce ecosystem are going to be at a precipice of evolving um, with the advent of ChatGPT and OpenAI and other tools that will um, impact the ecosystem. And after that presentation, I was talking with Andy, like, really, um, we should think about how we can get the material out there and get ready. And as we were brainstorming, it was Andy who said, let's, let's do a book. You know, but that's where the origin was born. Um, we gathered up a couple other people involved. And can I? I got to ask you, sure. uh, Joseph. Was this um, was this DF twenty three or DF twenty two? Twenty three. Last September. Okay. Last. Oh my gosh. Last September. You guys produced this book from idea conception to publication in just three months. Yes, and that's actually. Wow. It's actually a. a I don't know. I'll have my one want to sound humble at the same time that I say it was probably um, nothing short of miraculous. I think we scared packed a little bit at how fast um, we wanted to go. Um, We knew that time to market was going to be essential in the delivery of this book. When we first met with, by the time we had the first meeting with Pact, it was mid-October. So it took a few weeks to get the first... What's PACT? Pact Just describe what PACT is. PACT okay. is our publisher. Got and it. so um, they have the mechanisms, you know, to get that book onto Amazon and... All, get your ISBN number, yeah, all that good all stuff. All that sort yeah. of stuff that like, okay. we, we don't know how to do, right? Sure. And so um, we got connected with PACT. Andy did that. We had our first meeting somewhere mid-October. And they were like, well, the book should be ready in April. And we were like, "Uh, that's absolutely not not realistic. We need to have the book ready by Christmas. We wanted people to be able to purchase it for Christmas. So we were wanting early December. And like, uh, we had to wait till December 29th. (laughs) So that was a little later than we wanted even. Uh, Well, that's an amazing feat. I got to ask you. How much of a role, I mean, this is kind of a weird meta question, okay? So how much of a role did ChatGPT play in actually producing the content for the book? Yeah, another great question. Um, I'll defer to Andy on that. We Clearly, we've got a use case. The basis of the book is a use case. And we strategized by dividing the chapters, basically three or so chapters per author. So part of it was we divided and conquered, but did we all have to rely on fine-tuning? Yes. Um, Andy did the con- a considerable amount of work on the setup, which is essentially chapter one of the book. Andy, do you want to talk about how we aligned the machines to have the same tone and in perception? Yeah. Well... <laughs> I still think that the the voice used from chapter to chapter varies a little bit based on who wrote it. But I would hope so, right? Well, exactly. I mean, yeah. and, I, and I think we said that in the introduction to the book that it was going to vary a little bit based on who wrote the chapter. I can I can read the stuff that uh, Paco wrote, one of the author in Spain wrote, and it's very distinctive. For example, um, 
But I, I, I will hats off to the people at PACT, the publisher, because they did they did a lot of upfront work in helping us understand the the entire process and how we were going to get from where we were starting to to out the other end, so that we didn't have to do a lot of rework. Um, I'll tell anybody that wants to write a technical book, uh, go talk to the guys at PACT because the, the support from them was nothing short of amazing. Well, that's great. Yeah, it's a real learning curve. I've published a book before and it w- wasn't mine. I didn't write it, but I was involved in it. And it's, you know, it's, it, there's a curve there. And if you get the help that you need, as long as you're good at negotiating so they don't take it all, just because they know a few things, right? Then, then it's, a good, it's a good situation. Yeah. I'm kind of curious, like, did, did everybody pick up chapters based on what their primary, uh, you know, wheelhouse was? Yep. Okay. Yep. Okay. And, you know, did anybody ever feel like, oh, he got chapters four, five, and nine, and I, I wanted nine. Like, was there any of that in the collaboration? <laughs> it, it's funny. I'm going to tell you this. This is a, a casual conversation, so we can get a few one-liners in there. I've got Andy still telling me to go read the Apex chapters <laughs> because I believe in clicks, not code. I'm a admin at heart. And so like, sure. I was not jealous that I did not have to write anything about Apex. I was, well, there you I go. was happy, but, um, you know, that's my, my two cents. Okay. I, I'm, you know, Fred and I have talked at length on his show and on this show, and, and we've had David Giller on here, who's been terrific in producing materials for Salesforce admins and kind of helping them break into utilizing ChatGPT as early as mid, mid spring last year. And I'm kind of curious, like when you think about, when you think about your target audience, and I did list a handful of, you know, professional titles that would probably get the most out of this. Is it the kind of book that if you know everyone gets this, you should really read it all? Or is it, no, you, you only have to read these, whatever, half the chapters if you're in this role or half the chapters for that role? And, and that was exactly the intent. I mean, there are going to be people that will read it cover to cover, but the reality is that we wrote it so that if you have to do a flow and you want to use chat GPT, if you have to build an integration, if you have to write some documentation or a test case, you can just go to that chapter and get what you need. It, it wasn't supposed to be 350 pages long when we started, but it turned out to be that way. And frankly, uh, you know, I mean, you should buy it and you should read it and memorize it, but yeah. you're not going to do that. <laughs> yeah, just, there you just, go. Just go to the chapter you need when you need it. Yeah. So it's a, so it's a reference guide as well. Yeah. And kind of going back a little bit, again, sort of referencing Fred here, because we've talked a little bit about this. I mean, how did you set up your machines or how did you set up not just the, the I mean, they're setting up the voice and the tone of the writing that you're leaning into AI for. I mean, how much how much time did that take you? Figuring it all out, teaching it, getting it dialed in? Uh, surprisingly little because we all used the same custom instructions for the, the chat GPT instance that we used to write. Okay. The first chapter talks about setting up custom instructions and creating a, a creative brief. 
we all we all we wrote it and we all loaded up our chat GPT instances that we were each using with the same custom instructions and creative brief. And it resulted in very similar language for the parts of it that we had chat GPT write for us. Okay. And is there a is there a chance that you're gonna get, you know, picked up for a script for Hollywood with this book? You think it's gonna go I, big screen? I, I have I have my doubts although <laughs> Joseph Joseph has said that uh that he wants Ryan Reynolds to play him. In the movie. <laughs> there you go. There you go. I like that. And who would play you, Andy? <laughs> oh, I haven't even given any thought, I'm afraid. I'm sure Joseph. Joseph, who should play Andy? <laughs> um, Norm from Cheers. Oh, he's a good actor. Yeah, no, yeah. he's good. I think, I think George Wentz is dead. Yeah, no, that's not going to work. Dead. He was on is he not this week? What about Cliff? What about Cliff? Is he still he's around? A, he's alive as well. Also on okay. this week. And we saw we saw um, Carla uh, on Barbie. So yeah. you know, she, she's the inventor of Barbie. So there yeah. you go. All right. They had they had everybody but Kirstie Alley on the Emmys recreating um, Cheers. You know, so they're all kicking. I'm not sure what's more amazing that you guys got together and wrote a book in three months or that you actually were one of the 4.7 million people who tuned in to watch the Emmys. <laughs> I, like I saw, one of those I is an incredible stat. Actually, I'm not sure. I, I think one. you mean 4.7 people. Uh, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. I saw the tweet. I'm a- there you go. Okay. All right. Just, uh, just keeping it real here for a minute. <laughs> All right. So, you know, when you think about, the impact of this book on a specific individual sort of think of that ideal, you know, the ideal persona who's going to pick up this book. Right. And when you think about the, imagine you've got two, let's just say two developers, Andy. Okay. So we've got two developers. One of them picks up this book. All right. The other one just tries to go it alone and figure it out on their own. How, how many hours, how many months, like how, how long will it take the person who didn't pick up this book to actually get to the same level of as the person who actually invested, uh, you know, thirty-seven ninety-nine minus you know a ten percent discount that I think we'll get to share on the show here? Like, how much longer is it going to take that person to catch up to the one who actually read the book and and, and took it to heart? Well, so uh, I can be full of opinions about that, and of course, if you buy the book, you're going to be experts the moment you've paid for it forget reading it but but holding that in abeyance for a moment um uh, what i can tell you is that there have been a couple of different studies now i think uh uh, bain and and harvard or mit i can't forget which uh put a study out that that said they're seeing about 40 percent improvement Okay, and that and that's not just programming jobs but in general but what was interesting was that the the largest improvement were for the people that performed the worst at the beginning. And and what I will say is that for for folks like everybody on this call and everybody listening to this call, of course, and and Joseph and I, these tools make things a little bit faster, but we we know what we know how to do the work. We there's no researching. It's we know what to do, we know how to do it. And the tool can write, literally write code faster than I can, but I would write the same code. The people that are going to see the improvement are the folks a little bit earlier in their career when 
they, they have to spend half an hour or an hour researching how to do something. If the AI just tells them, they, they've saved time. So the, that 40% isn't evenly distributed. Everybody doesn't see 40%. The people earlier in their career are going to see more than 40%. Okay, people, so I, it might help me run faster, but maybe Usain Bolt, it will only help him a little bit is kind of what you're that, saying. That's, that's exactly it. Okay. It's the earlier you are in your career, the bigger the impact of tools like uh, ChatGPT and generative AI in general. Okay, and then... I would talk, talk about the impact of that though, right? So like, uh, I'm a developer. I've spent some time with your book. I've now improved my, are you saying a 40% improvement in my ability to utilize chat GPT? Or are you saying 40% more in, I- efficient in general? In general is what okay. you're saying. And again, okay. that's, not me, that's not me saying it. That's, that's the, the couple of studies that have come out now are showing 40% plus or minus improvement on average across a, an, the entirety of somebody's job function. Okay. And I, I'm curious, I think, I think Fred will be curious about this. Why did you choose chat, B, uh, chat GPT instead of BARD or Claude or some of these other generative AI tools available? Um, at, the, at the time, they were the furthest along. Mm-hmm. Remember, we, had, we started looking at this late summer and at that point, it was a, a commercially available tool. Um, Vertex, Bedrock are, are a little bit diff, more difficult to get to. Bard, Bing uh, weren't quite as far along. The, the folks from OpenAI right now are the ones that are that are pushing for. They're breaking trail. That may not last forever. I'm sure some of the people on the call remember 1995 when Ask Jeeves was the best search engine, hands down. But right now, the OpenAI guys are the ones that are showing everybody how to do it. Mm-hmm. What about Clippy? Do you miss those days? <laughs> I, I totally miss Clippy. <laughs> I totally miss Clippy. Yeah, uh, this is for the 50 and over crowd. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and clearly dating ourselves between Cheers and Clippy. Okay. Uh, one, thing I'd, one thing I'd add, Josh, is, is the exponential factor of that 40%. Because the, there are chapters and parts of the book that are meant to help all the roles on the project, not just the developer. There are chapters about how to be more efficient with documentation, how to be more efficient with testing, how to be more efficient with user stories. And if you look at that from getting a you know, 40% lift across a project team, that's where the impact is. That's why why and how we felt comfortable with that word accelerating salesforce development mm-hmm. as you'll get you know it you'll get synergy from everybody perhaps understanding their role their part and how they're complementing um the overall delivery it's yeah. not just meant for hey can i get a lightning web component out faster Although we talk about that, can I get a flow out faster? Although we talk about that, it's all of the roles, BAs, product owners, scrum masters across the board. Okay. I like it. And so I'm trying to think how to phrase this one. Let's imagine there's a date in the future where if you don't know how to use this stuff, you're not going to get offered the job. Maybe let's just say at 70, 80% of the companies out there. So to the point where it just becomes absolutely critical, right? 
Like you've got to know this stuff because now they want to hire someone. Let's say they want to hire a a developer for $150,000 a year, but they want that developer to be 40% more efficient. Now, this is a one of those special times in technology where someone can come in, be 40% more efficient, really like blow the doors off of the work that they're doing, like in a really massive and incredible way, stand out against their peers, opportunities for better projects, you know, whatever, get to go to Dreamforce, whatever it is, get to work on, you know, get raises, get promotions, things like that. But there is going to be a day where the knowledge of effectively using a product like ChatGPT is going to be um, a commodity. Like the expectation is like you have to have it. When do you think that day is going to be? Is it in a year? Is it in five years? Like if you were going to just put your predictor hat on, and I'm curious what each of you think, and I'm curious what Fred thinks and what Peter think on this as well. I would say those questions are coming up in interviews now. Mm -hmm. And I would say no later than, at least in the Salesforce ecosystem, because that's where I'm currently specialized. I would say no later than Dreamforce. Okay. That That you should be expected to know it. Andy's got a great quote that I, that I like yet scares me about AI. Want to share that one, Andy? Uh, if I knew which one you were talking about, Joseph, I'd be happy to, but I think you have to run with it. <laughs> the, the one about the, you don't have to worry about AI taking your job. Someone who knows AI will take your job. What, what is no, that? that's, that's not my quote. That That's somebody else's quote, but yeah. Who is saying that? that's legitimate? Oh, I'll look while we're talking. Now you're going to make me try to look it up. Oh, <laughs> uh, no, you're okay. You're okay. On the internet's quote. <laughs> Say that again, Fred. I said, I think that's literally everybody on the internet's quote. <laughs> yeah, right. I've, seen, I've, heard, I've heard Josh say it. I've said it. I think I've seen it on LinkedIn about 100,000 times. Yeah. Well, I guess what that means is... Come on, people, buy the book. And if, you, if you're not going to do it, like at least get involved in, in generative AI in some way, shape, or form in your career. Figure it out. But if you want a shortcut, this is, it sounds like this is the book. And by the way, you know, I, I saw a little screenshot that I think Joseph had shared where they were ranked in the top five um, for books about AI. I, I did my own search. I typed in AI and Salesforce, and they were number one on this. So I don't know if it depends on where you're, where you're typing it, but that, that is a pretty massive feat. And it looks like you're already getting some stellar five-star reviews. What, what comes next? You've, you, you know, in three months, you guys have formed a team, you've put this together, you've published it. What's the next thing for the crew? I'm, I'm deferring to Joseph on that. (laughs) I, I, um, I'm torn between I'm torn between devoting some time to use cases, specific use cases where we can begin to capture the attention of leadership and the influencing the value and the roadmap that they can get from these tools. Um, we've started talking about that, and then um, we've started talking about tackling that debate of of clicks. N- not code and extending it one level further. And um, we went out and registered the domain name already. So I think we got a working title um, that it's conversation, not clicks, not code. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. You know, understanding how you converse, you know, with with the AI, with the tools, and build those things out in a way that um, your approach is interactive and collaborative with the AI, that they're an extension of your team. Okay, so I'm kind of curious. So Fred and I were talking last week. I think it was last week, Fred. It might have been the week before, but we were talking about Rabbit, the new AI tool that's coming out of, I think, China. You know what I'm talking about, Fred? Yeah, I, yeah. We, it was. Uh, well, I don't know where they're coming out of. It might be China. Might be All China. All I know is they they took my 200 bucks faster than you would you would think. Yeah, right. I <laughs> mean, really, really fast. So basically, this is a little machine that fits in your pocket, and it it basically is like taking chat GPT, and it ties it into all the apps that you've already got, whether it's Expedia or your bank or whatever, right? So it becomes way more conversational. And I'm wondering, is there going to be a day down the road as we look deep into the future where, where you know, we're getting rid of the keyboard? I mean, is there going to be someday a generation of people that, you know, unless you have some sort of, um, you know vocal or auditory impairment, like the keyboard's going to be a thing of the past? I'd, I don't know that I will go that far just yet, but I would, you know, probably have been surprised at what we could do now and what they make up in the movies and what you see in the movies, you know, from long ago now seems far-fetched, like flying cars, like Back to the Future, right? Mm-hmm. Now they're around the corner probably. You know, because now we've got self-driving cars. So, you know, I, I believe that inevitably you're going to need strategy and vision in order to help build any kind of plan or, or go anywhere, even even with technology, right? That that's um, how Steve Jobs got where where he was, or or any of those things that that have evolved over time. Um, and dominated the market space. Um, but ultimately, um, it will become commonplace in all of the things we do, right? At one point in time, we thought it was nuts that there would be smart appliances and that our refrigerator would tell us things or our dryers would tell us things or whatnot. I'm driving a relatively brand new car that's just a coincidence. I want to have a disclaimer out there that you do not, you cannot afford a brand new car by writing a book. This is not the way to get rich. <laughs> no, it's not. No. <laughs> but um, I'm driving a brand new 2024 Honda Accord that literally told me when I took my hands off the wheel. Like, I mean, it knew, like, it wasn't necessarily the wisest thing, but still, my hands were off the wheel for a brief second and the car knew it and flashed up a warning to put my hands back on the wheel. Sure. You know, so like, yeah. think about the possibility with that as the case. And I see someone, Fred's got a question. What do you want? Well, not a question. I just wanted to chime in. If, yeah, uh, do it. So, I mean, I, I couldn't agree more. I don't, I can't see a day, anytime, really anytime, that, that the keyboard is completely gone, right? You know? We, we had writing. We still have typewriters. I still go to offices today and sometimes they have typewriters that are sitting there for specialized use cases. I think it's a percentage question, right? How much, what percentage of time are you going to be using your 
keyboard versus talking to the machine. Mm-hmm. I'll give you another one, you know, just to bring another technology in here. I might be the only person in the US or in the world that is excited for the Apple VR headset. And I've actually got to put one on my head and they're pretty cool. And they have this amazing eye tracking technology that eliminates the need for, for a mouse or trackpad or, or other pointing device. But I don't think the mouse is dead, right? I'm not, I'm not predicting that the, the trackpad is going to be gone in, in two years. It's just going to be a, how much am I going to use the, tra- the, the trackpad versus how much am I going to use some other controller? Sure. Uh, but I mean, it, so speaking of those Apple headsets, I mean, my understanding is short battery life, you know, he- heavy, very yep. expensive, going to price a ton of people out. I mean, I'm assuming that's just a matter of time, right? I mean, my you are, first you plasma are selling, screen. Was, you are selling it hard. Heavy, yeah, right. Expensive. <laughs> well, well, but here's the thing: people don't. Realize. I watch the videos. You know, it's it, it's a it's a standalone computer, right? It's it's not like these other headsets where you need you know an Nvidia card and and something else to drive it. It's it's a it's like buying a Mac Pro and and two Retina displays in your eyes. Mm-hmm. It's you know, so when you look at it that way, it's not overpriced. But yeah, it's like I'm a fanboy. I've I've used one. I think it's awesome. I'm not laying down my money, you know. I'm not. I'm not going to rabbit it, but it's only a matter of time. To your point, right? Like this is this is V1.0. How many people got the iPhone the first time around? Yeah. How many people have one now? Now, every time I think about these new headsets and stuff, I always think of the movie The Jerk with Steve Martin, right? He he invents this handy thing so that you don't touch your glasses when you take it off. It's in the middle, but by the end of the movie, everyone's cross-eyed, including the judge, who's <laughs> you know determining his future. Right, which we all—if you watch the movies, a bum. So you know, but I wonder—is there going to be some sort of physical, uh, physical cost, right, to to the use of these products on your head, whether it's you know, whatever magnetic waves that cause cancer, or going cross-eyed, or whatever it is. You know, I'm kind of curious what since because we, we look AI's future stuff, and it's here right now, and I get that, but I'm curious. With we've got an inventor, two authors, we've got podcasters, we've got you know the app whisperer here. We've got some really smart people on this show right now. So just kind of broadening the discussion a little bit, you know, what do you guys think? Like if you were to imagine a repercussion of new technology that's a negative thing, right? Like what do you think it might be? What might be the biggest thing that shows up in in the next few years? Uh, well, I'll I'll jump in with one. Uh, I've noticed, so I'm, I'm in my 60s. My kids are in their late 20s. And I was intrigued by the fact that about halfway through school, school stopped teaching them how to write cursive. Right. So, so kids under, under probably about 25 or 20 no longer know how to write cursive. Mm-hmm. Right. Bit by bit, the, what we take as standard skills for people of my generation, uh, they're just, they're gone. Well, and, um, and, and Joseph, even when we were learning cursive, we didn't have to be good at it. We just had to pass it. You know what I mean? Whereas if you were in the 20s or 30s, it's like, you better have amazing script. You weren't allowed to write like a doctor back then. Like yeah. It had to be re- readable and pretty too. Yeah, that's probably what kept me from being a doctor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, it was the blood for me. It was the blood. Yeah. Yeah. Um, to each their own. You know, I guess I envision like that the the adaptation, I guess, whether, you know, with the delivery or technology or the things that are coming around, 
there's always going to be some some level of uh, no adoption, I guess. Like I myself, I have a heavy stigmatism, terrible vision. I would not be able to wear a VR headset because I'd get dizzy and nauseous, you know. So I'm not going to take medicine to avoid nausea to wear a headset to be able to get faster at my job. Although maybe I don't have that much longer either, you know, to work, you know, maybe another 20 years. But, you know, will I will I be faced with something that's going to take my job technology wise? You know, I don't think so. Yeah. And and what about like, if you look at some of these new uh, drone technologies, especially the um, FPV, so the first person um basically, you know, flying a drone first person visual with a goggle. A lot of these goggles nowadays have you can kind of fine tune your your script right into the right into the goggles. I'm curious, Fred, do you know if Apple has anything like that or do they just make it glasses or contacts compatible? I, I'm not sure that I follow when you say fine tune the script. Sorry. Sorry, your your prescription, your your um oh. eye, eyewear prescription. I've got no clue. Okay. Uh, yeah, no clue on that. They they, okay. they they do have like it's a it's a solid thing, and then there's cameras on the outside. So when you want to see outside of the helmet, at least the the one they're releasing right away, it you it's using the cameras and then it's recreating what you see in the room on a screen. Mm-hmm. So I imagine you could use software to do the correction. Sure, and it's I guess it's doing the same thing for your face, right? It's taking a picture of your face and projecting your face on the screen as well. Yes, yes. Yeah, yes. it's well, so freaking weird. I, I mean, I will, it's cool, but it's weird. I will cop to this. While I did not watch the Emmys, I did binge watch Echo, and she's deaf. Echo is deaf. If you don't know much about Marvel superheroes, and so Kingpin developed. Um, a contact lens that she wore that simulated him doing sign language, Mm. right? So there are, like, you got to think about it conceptually, right? That's maybe like they built that for a movie or led us to believe that was possible for a movie. But who knows if there's not some doctor out there who's watched that and now thinking of the practical application to help bridge that that communication and, and make sign easier for that community, right? You know, maybe that maybe that's something we'll see, you know, and that could be commonplace. You know, I don't know, but they they could they dreamt it and it and could make it possible. That they could. Well guys, we've been rolling for a good 40 minutes or so right now. So I'm just gonna drop in real quick and remind everybody of some fantastic resources for their career. What I encourage everybody to do is jump on the Expand Exchange and you can go to expandexchange.com. This is a page on my website, which is the salesforcerecruiter.com, but it really, it's a directory. And the directory was curated, I'll, I'll say mostly by Vanessa and a little bit by me, um, to help guide you and give you basically resources so that you can improve your career. Whether that is getting more involved with communities like our our ex uh, you know Salesforce professionals community, which I think is the largest Salesforce 
community on X. So you can go ahead and join that. But we've got Jordan Nelson on there. We've got podcasters, bloggers, vloggers, communities, training academies. So definitely visit expandexchange.com. Look, this is free. We don't get any kickbacks. There's no advertising involved. This is just for you people who want more. You're thirsty for knowledge. You're hungry for knowledge. Well, you can go here and you can connect with other people just like you and people who've been in the ecosystem for five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, right? Who really have wrapped their arms around this the way that um, the way that our guests Andy and Joseph have and the way that Fred and Peter have throughout the years as well. So check out Expand Exchange. You can also find new opportunities on our careers page there and some good uh, blogs and videos to help guide you into how to have better video interviews, how to have a very good interview, how to actually be able to get to the point where you can extend an offer to the best of the best candidate, right? And not be held over a barrel. So there's a lot of information with your hiring or getting hired or simply just want to store higher, check out Expand Exchange and the SalesforceRecruiter.com. Now, Joseph, when we caught up just a little bit earlier today, or maybe it was yesterday, I can't even remember. Um, you said that someone had posed a question to you and you thought, you know, the smart move here is to go ahead and just wait until the show. So do you happen to have that question handy? Sure. Um, okay. I do. Um, I um, took it down um, here on an index card. I'd have to go look to find the tweet of who asked it. Um, I will do that um, momentarily. But the long, the long and the short of it was is to talk about the trajectory of how I ended up as a solution architect. Okay. Um, with 40 certifications. Yeah. And so that was the gist of his question. And I'll tell you, um, I started as a business analyst and I was a bit, uh, that was the start of my career. And I was at iHeartRadio, or at that time was Clear Channel Communication, iHeartRadio. And I had an epiphany one day that, that I could and would be an architect. I was sitting in a, project room. I had my project manager at the end of the table, some architect making five times what I was making as the BA across from me and different testers getting ready for a project meeting. And Jason, the PM said, Joseph, your laptop's blocking the mop, the projector, of which I looked at the table and I slid and moved the projector into basically kind of Kent's space. Kent was our architect. And then everybody looked at me and I said, well, what? Did everybody see only one solution to that problem? <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, which was close your laptop, Joseph. And so at that point, I really found a couple good mentors, um, John Fromm and Moises Cuellar. And they took me under their wing, taught me, the value of the ecosystem, how the platform, how to develop, and slowly just began to build experience. So I spent, I have spent time in my career as the BA, as an admin, as an engineer, as a product owner, and I sought out those roles as short as they might have been um, in the last fourteen years um, to experience what it would be like from all facets of a team. I'm an agile purist at heart from a development perspective, but I wanted to understand, be able to empathize with all of the roles, what testing would be like, um, 
those sorts of things. And then ultimately, if I were tasked with building something or needing to build something, and there was a certification or a learning opportunity on Trailhead, I would explore it and do it. Um, I had one such project that needed me uh, needed me to help them articulate or develop a solution around PDFs. And this one is actually pretty pretty exciting because I went out and I learned Omni Studio. It was available to be do- done in Omni Studio. <clears throat> but I went to Trailblazer DX and I went to True to the Core and I got up there and I'm like, just why the heck is it that we can't produce PDFs? inside of Salesforce. Parker Harris was like, that's absurd. It's been eight years we're answering the same question. And Salesforce reached out to me and I got to be the BA with Salesforce writing use cases for them. And we can now print PDFs on community websites in Salesforce. So it's a matter of like getting involved, getting engaged, absorbing trailhead, networking with the community, with people like you, Josh, and um, our favorite, Vanessa, right? And learning and delving into all of those resources. Because if you want to learn it, you want to grow in the ecosystem, there are people there who will support you on the journey. And that's really how the transformation happened not by myself, but with the help of others who took an interest in ensuring I had the opportunity to learn. Chris Chris Duarte is one of my most favorite people. Mm -hmm. So that's that's really how you go about doing it. It's a great origin story, um, Joseph. Thank you for sharing that. I've got to ask you, you know, like Vanessa is a, a cert junkie herself. Like she just loves it, right? It's yeah. it's what she enjoys doing. And I, I've often thought, you know, I think about this, whether it's my business or anybody who's trying to accelerate their career inside or outside of the Salesforce ecosystem. It's not how much you do. It's how much you get done in a certain period of time, right? Yeah. Because you can get really good at chat GPT, but if you know, you're taking five years to figure it out, you've missed the curve a little bit. And now you're behind the ball. Sure. There is some something of a race in this world, particularly as they, you know, uh, as it relates to careers, right? Sure. People so, who get more done in a shorter period of time tend to make more money, and so on. So, well, with your let me let me just dive yeah. in on this real quick. So, you know, you're, it's not nothing to go and get forty certifications. That takes serious dedication and passion. You know, did you find yourself um, sometimes on that journey, like, oh, you know, the way someone who's training for a marathon might just be like, oh, crap, I got a 15 mile run on Saturday and I'm just spent, but you do it anyway. Did did you approach it that way or was it always kind of fun and interesting and you never really felt like you were, there needed to be any lag or delay in your education in the field? Yeah. My 40 certifications have taken 14 years. Okay. So, you know, I started on um, this, you know, the user stories and the um, journey with Salesforce in early 
2012 and now we're 2024, you know, and I was slow to start with the certifications, but, you know, I've, it's not a race. It's not about earning 20 certs in one year. Well, there were only so you know, many certs back in it, 2012 too, right? I mean, <laughs> well, there, there weren't as many back yeah. in 2012, but, but, you know, what I've tend to tell people when I mentor them and I mentor people throughout the ecosystem, um, well over 50 people, typically one-on-one, um, I have a week where I might be mentoring like eight people in the evenings on Mondays and Wednesdays. And it, I'll go ahead and say, if you're, if you're in need of a mentor, you can ping me on LinkedIn and, uh, you know, we can talk, but um, you know, I look for people who have interesting stories as well, interesting needs, and it's about, you know, balancing the goals and working towards things. What I will tell them is a technician's knowledge, a developer, an admin, their knowledge is an inch wide and a mile deep. They know a lot of ways to do a lot of things. And an architect's knowledge is the inverse. It's a mile wide, but an inch deep. You have to begin to know how all of the pieces work together. What's sure. what? What's the default pieces of service cloud versus sales cloud versus CPQ versus field service? How are all of those things different? What do you, you know, how... What do you do in field service that's different in regular service? You know, what's the impact of a work order object? You know, and you're going to learn those things by doing. And you cannot fake enthusiasm when you're learning and doing stuff. The maybe one personal side of that's made my learning journey be involved and long is I'm essentially an empty nester. My kids are in college and out of the house. Um, The last one is a senior at Purdue. And my wife is a teacher. And so I have 180 days, roughly from September or August to, to June, where my wife's grading 180 papers, you know, a week and doing lesson plans for her math and science students. And I do trailheads. There you go. Okay. I I learn. Like I'm I'm not sitting down binging every day. You know, I watch superheroes and survivor. Those are basically (laughs) the shows that I watch. And I put my time into learning, wanting to be part of the platform, wanting to give back. Like if you really understood, and I don't, uh, it's the last thing I'll say, and I'll give the floor back to you and some of the others, you know, really understood my true beginnings. Like I grew up on food stamps and in a two bedroom apartment that I was a, you know, 17 year old kid getting ready to go to college, sharing a room with my eight year old sister. So when you think about where I was in 1988, when I went to college, and where I am now, my life is blessed beyond my wildest imaginations. I cannot give back enough to the community, 
to homeless people, to the hungry. Um, I do an annual event called Meals Over Texas. Like, I'm just very blessed and fortunate. And the impact that I want to have is to help those who are similar, you know. And really, like, that's why I would want to write a book when Andy said, let's write a book. It's how can we help people who need to get that heads up, that start, that 40% improvement, you know, to be competitive or get into the job market. You know, so well, thank you, Joseph. I mean, that's a, that's a it's a powerful story, yeah. you know. And often when we grow up in those sorts of circumstances, we really do try very hard. I had enough years growing up as a young kid, also on food stamps. I know what that's like, and I know the other side of life too. And it's yeah. it's a really uh, it's a powerful thing. And I think I, the, the people that I know that are wealthy, whether that's wealthy in family, wealthy in in finances, wealthy in in you know, their activities and their, their community. Um, so many of them are, are driven not necessarily by, uh, wanting to replicate where they came from, but trying to, um, create something different than where they came from. You know, that, that drive is so strong and powerful and and we see, you know, we hear them, we've heard them throughout our lives, uh, you know, from, our ancestors who came over on boats, you know, whether it was back in the 1700s or the 1600s or in the early 1900s or late 1800s, right? So it's powerful stuff. Thank you for sharing that. I do want to open the floor um, to questions. So if anybody's got any questions, I want you to feel free, like you can raise your hand or you can DM Peter or Fred and they'll go ahead and read it aloud. If you don't have any, that's okay. I know we're answering a lot of questions anyway right now. But before we go, I would like to get just a little bit of a micro origin story also from Andy. So Andy, you know, what's the, what's the quick one too about, you know, what inspires you and, and, and how you came to be involved in the ecosystem? Uh, well, before, before I get into that, I want to be fair. It was the Boston Consulting Group that came up with the 40%, not Bain. Uh, I don't want somebody from BCG to call me and go, okay. that was us. <laughs> yeah, okay. Exactly. Wrong. wrong All right. Reference. Good deal. Uh, uh, well, uh, the problem now is I feel like anything I say will just not compare well to what Joseph. Just well, it's not us. a competition. And, and the, th- <laughs> the thing is, and what's nice about this show is the reach of this show is broad. You know, I think we were listened to. And if I look back, it's somewhere around 70 or 80 countries last year. Right. So that means we're hitting a lot of different people from a lot of different backgrounds. And what Joseph shares is going to resonate, I would think, with a lot of people, but not everybody. So let's let's hear it, my friend. Yeah, the I mean, honestly, the the interest was, and as you said in the introduction about me, I started I first wrote a program in 1977. That means my career has survived mainframes turning into mini computers, turning into PCs, turning into network PCs, turning into PCs connected to the internet, uh, to mobile devices, uh, and now AI. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's helping people prepare for what's coming. You can, you can wait until it, it gets up in your face or you can start to get a little bit of a mm-hmm. head start. And I, I think that's really what, what we tried to do in the book was say, look, this isn't where it's going to end. It's not like you learn this and you don't have to learn any more AI ever. But if you want to get started here, we tried to write, as Joseph, I think, said, it's use cases. There's it's not there's nothing theoretical in that book. That is applied AI. 
as much as we could make it to help people with the problems in front of them today. Well, thank you for sharing, Andy. Let's let's check in with Fred and with Peter here. I mean, we've covered a lot of material here today. And Fred, your session at Florida Dreaming was specifically around AI. It's definitely a field of interest for you. I mean, was there... Uh, I'm kind of curious what your what your thoughts are about everything that you've heard right now or anything that you'd want to add or or know more about. No, I'm I'm super curious about the the book. I looked on Amazon and I am super disappointed to see that there's not an audible version available. Difficult for me to find time to to read a, a paper or Kindle version, but I will probably get around to doing it. Um I, I love the concept of the book. Uh, I, I, I went through and I looked at the chapter summaries, and there's a ton of great information in there. Um, you know, Josh alluded to my presentation that I, I gave to a couple of the, the different dreaming conferences, including Florida Dreaming last year, which kind of looked at the other side of it, which is I, I think the premise of of this book. And, and authors, correct me if I'm if I'm misunderstanding, is you know from the perspective of somebody that, that already knows how to do something, how do we accelerate getting that done? Like how do we get the flow configured faster? How do we get the apex code written more quickly, et cetera. I was trying to look at a, a problem from the other side, which is Salesforce is broad and wide. Um, like, like both of you, I've been in the ecosystem for quite some time. I first had my first Salesforce um, contract 17 years ago. So uh, it was a very different system uh, then. I, I can honestly say that somebody could have probably known everything uh, about Salesforce at that time. Nobody could know everything about Salesforce now. And, and a big part of my focus was, you know, when you get asked for that edge case, when you get asked for that, like, you know, Joseph, you made some field service references and some of your answers I don't know anything about field service. I'm a financial services guy. We don't use field service. You know, there's very few use cases that make sense. But if I were asked about it and I needed to come up with something cogent, how could I use AI for something like that? And so I don't know if you guys have, have explored that or have any opinions on on how how AI can be leveraged better to to do solutioning rather than executing on solutions. Well, I, I have an opinion, and, and I think one of the chapters in the book, we actually explore using it for ideation. Uh, and certainly outside of the book, uh, I've used it to say, okay, I, a client's asked me to figure out how to keep SAP and Salesforce account records in sync. Hey, chat GPT, list <laughs> every possible way you can come up with to do that. So, yeah, I mean, I think we talk about it a little bit, and I definitely think it's a fantastic tool for that, whether it's, again, BART or Bing or ChatGPT. Cool. I don't, I don't, have, I don't have anything to add there, Fred. I, I, <laughs> I think, it, you know, the um, – I would tell you, like, ultimately the context and, and you know, the, the – prompts and the setup of of what you how you organize um chat gpt will be important um oddly like there will be middle schoolers who try to use it and they get their papers back and they turn them in with words they don't understand the definitions to <laughs> you know so i think that the the refinement that that you do um when your idea when you're 
running through versions of your idea ultimately, you know, will get you to something innovative. But you're right. Like the, the platform's too vast to know everything about it. And uh, I don't know that, that even Google knows all about it. <laughs> yeah, but, and you don't. I mean, like, that's why <laughs> there's millions of people who operate yeah. in it, right? So that's the good news um, for sure. Yeah. Uh, Peter, you've been real quiet this show, and and I am assuming that's because you're just absorbing so much. But I'm curious about your opinions. Anything you've heard tonight that sort of felt like a surprise, or anything that you'd like to add to the discussion before we point people in the right direction on how to get connected and what we've got coming up in a couple of weeks? Uh, thank you, sir. Um, yeah, I've I've been absorbing everything. It's a a great combo. I, I definitely want to uh, check out the book. Um, and digest some more. I, honestly, I really don't have any anything to add outside of agreeing with what everyone else has said before. You, you know my opinion. I mean, I I, um, I I think it's still the wild, wild west. And you know, everyone said, "Well, 2023 was the year of AI." I call bullshit because I think it's 2024 is going to be. Yeah. You know, the year, it, it's all going to come together or fall apart. We're not sure which or how, but something, some things will, will happen, right? It will be packaged up and Lord knows what that priority will be in terms of the industry and use cases, but you're going to start seeing without actually knowing that there's some, you know, AI behind the scenes there from a, from a, you know, like a consumer perspective. Sure. What the same I, way what, IOT is operating in a lot of homes and you don't even know it. Yeah, similar similar story, right? I, mm-hmm. I remember talk, hearing about IoT when I was at Semantic in you know 2001. Well, people don't talk about it anymore, but I got a Nest thermostat. I got you know the protect CO uh, detectors and stuff. Yeah, it's IoT. Yeah. But anyway, um, you know, I I remember sitting in uh, I think it was at the time the eighth floor of the Coin Tower in downtown Portland, and I was sitting there, and my friend Tom, who who I'd helped bring on board, he's a amazing recruiter. I'm not sure if he's still recruiting, but he's a fantastic recruiter. And he's like, okay, I got one word for you. I was like, okay. He's like, it's called cloud. And I was like, okay. And then he starts describing what the cloud is. Like we'd never heard about it before. But I remember the moment I heard about it. And then, you know, looking back, I mean, that was probably 2006, I'm guessing, maybe seven, 2006, something like that. Maybe I was a late bloomer um, and had been around for a little while. But you know, this, everything with chat GP, it's the same thing. It's like, where were you when this came out, right? We're going to have that memory down the road. But for now, we're going to have to wrap up the show. And to do that, I'd like to let everybody know that we're going to be back in two weeks. Okay, there's probably not going to be an episode released. Um, well, this episode will be released uh, certainly by next Wednesday, which is, I don't know, what is that, the 24th. And then we'll be back live on the 31st with Adam Maiko. Adam is a uh, d- uh, data visualization enablement and fluency leader. He's a 2X uh, Tableau visionary, a 4X Tableau ambassador. We're really lucky to have him. And uh, he's also a Golden Hoodie recipient from not this past year, but the year before in DF22. So join us, Vanessa, uh, Fred, Peter, and um, and Adam Maiko uh, in two weeks from today. And if you'd like to connect with Joseph and Andy, you can. They're pretty easy to find. In fact, uh, I'm going to share with you a couple ways that you can connect with them. The first way would be to type in ChatGPT for Accelerating Salesforce Development. Go ahead and just type in the name of their book in LinkedIn. Okay, That's a public group. 
you can uh, go ahead and, and click and join in. Um, you can get, uh, you know, dump in your reviews and follow what's going on or any updates that are going on. You can also connect with um, AI for, well, it's the same thing, but it's a newsletter. And uh, Joseph, tell us how we can subscribe to that uh, weekly newsletter that you have. I believe it's AI for Accelerating Value. Is that correct? Um, yes, it is. But they're, they're very similarly named. Um, we, ho- we hope the newsletter spans the life of the books we've planned. Whereas the news, the new, the current version of the public group is specific to ask your questions about the book. Um, if you find like, hey, um, tell me a little bit more about this prompt on page two sixteen. Um, we're happy to get in there and have a dialogue with you. Um, but I did want to make sure, Josh, if you, I have just one more second to give everybody the discount code. It, oh, that'd be I great. Please do. I you that for you and your listeners. Um, it's a discount code that they can apply if they go buy the book on Amazon. And I will have to start with this disclaimer in the U.S. store. Uh, on, it is not a global discount code, um, but it is 20 AFPJ, as in Andy, Forbes, Pablo, or Philip and joseph 20 afpj and that will get you uh 20 off the book when you purchase it and if you are having any trouble with the discount code it's good now through february 10th um feel free to direct message me on linkedin and i will help you with a link that applies the code but um 20 afpj will get you the 20 percent off our book that's terrific. And we'll go ahead and include that in the description of the podcast when it is released. Awesome. So if you're driving and you can't write it down right now, don't worry. We'll get it to you. You just visit our Buzzsprout site, just type in the Salesforce Career Show. It'll come up on Google and you'll find it right there. Now, if you want to connect on LinkedIn with Joseph, it's Joseph Kubon, K-U-B-O-N, the third. Okay, so you can connect with him there. And then it's Andy Forbes, A-N-D-Y, Forbes, just like the magazine, F-O-R-B-E-S. You can find them both on LinkedIn. If you're connected with me, you're probably only one degree away from being connected with them. So if you're not connected with me, we'll go ahead and do that, um, or at least follow. And you can also follow them or do a full connection if you like. All right. Okay. Uh, Fred, any final words? Any final thoughts? Peter, final thoughts? Great episode. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah. Great to have you guys here. Thank you so much. Peter? I miss Vanessa, but you guys are okay. Yeah, well, we feel we feel the same way, but you know what? This is still an awesome, robust show without her. But yeah, having Vanessa on is awesome. Okay, Andy, final words from you. Buy the book. Buy the book. Hey, can I invite you guys to come back in say six months? Yeah. What I'm thinking is what I love. What I love to find are people who are listening to this show that were inspired by this program and by hearing you discuss. Um, your origin stories and your reasons for creating this this uh, fantastic guide to helping people in the ecosystem you know, get more out of ChatGPT for their careers. I'd love to find someone who goes out and buys the book this week or this month and sits with it for some time and have them on the show with you six months from now to really hear from them what happened, like how their career changed, how their workflow changed, and whether or not that actually uh, you know, made a, made a, you know, how much, it's going to make a difference. How much of a difference has it made for them? 
I'd be really curious about that and love to have you guys back. Yeah, that's a great ask. I'd love to do it. Fantastic. Yep. All right, well, we'll get it booked. Everybody, from me, from the absent Vanessa, from Fred, Peter, Joseph, Andy, and the rest of our crew, and everybody who's involved in producing this podcast, we thank you so much for listening. Do us a favor, hit the bell, go ahead and subscribe, give us a five-star rating, and uh, ooh, sound effects, I always like that. And we'll be back in two weeks, okay? Until then, everybody have a fantastic week. Fantastic.